So good morning. As you can see, we're starting a new sermon series this morning uh, in the book of uh, Romans. And uh, we're going to be looking at Romans chapter 8. So uh, we're going to get there. Romans chapter 8, if you want to go ahead and open your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. So uh, our campus and teaching pastor, Doug Jones. Um, Just so you know, Doug is on sabbatical. So uh, in, in the Brentwood system of churches, um, uh, the, the ministers uh, every, every five years are allowed to take four or five weeks off. And um, so he's in the process of doing that. He's actually been here for all, close to six years now. And um, I don't know if this is super loud, but it's super loud to me. Um, is it super loud to you guys? Maybe you could, uh, I don't know. I don't know what it takes to turn me down, but just a, just a little bit. Um, so uh, I'll, I'll keep talking. So um, Doug is on sabbatical. And um, a couple things with that that I would ask of you guys is that if you have any needs as it relates to the church, uh, please don't email Doug. So email someone on staff. And if you would, um, over, uh, over the course of the next couple of weeks, Doug's actually going to be back on July 11th. Doug's going to be back on July 11th. Uh, am I on or? Okay. Okay. Doug is actually going to be back um, on July 11th. Okay. So between now and then, uh, there's going to be a lot of different people that are speaking. Um, some people from our Avenue South campus, our campus over in East Nashville. And even after Doug gets back, uh, our friend Winston's going to be in town in July. So the summer is going to be a bit of a fun variety show. Uh, we're going to have a good time. So uh, I would ask that... Um, if you would, that you would pray for Doug over the next couple of weeks. Pray for Doug and his family, and if you would, pray for them by name. So Doug, Christy, Samuel, Eric, Margie, and his mom, Miss Pig. So uh, let's actually take a moment to pray right now, and whatever comes to mind, whatever blessing you would like to ask the Lord um, to give to our brother Doug, um, who shepherds us week in and week out. He's a faithful a faithful shepherd who, like Paul, Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. And that's the way that Doug leads us. And we're very thankful for it. But we also hope that he will find rest over the next couple of weeks. That would be the purpose of this. So pray with me if you would. Lord, there's a lot of us right now that are praying different prayers. Whatever you've brought to our heart for our brother Doug, for his family, for Christy, for Samuel, for Eric, for Margie, for Miss Pig. We pray that they would hear just what they need to hear from you, a special word, uh, that you would grant them all rest, that they would be able to connect more closely as a family, that they would be able to connect with what matters the most, um, that they would just connect more deeply with your perspective on all things in life. And uh, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, you know, when, uh, when your boss leaves, uh, the phrase does come up, uh, when the cat's away, the mice will. All right. Well, thank you for playing into my hands there. All right. When the cat's away, the mice will not play. The mice will show themselves diligent workmen approved. We will study Romans chapter 8 when the cat is away. That's, that's, that's what the mice are going to do. So, um, uh, like I said, four weeks on Romans chapter 8. And the idea you saw, yeah, there it is. It's still there. The word greater. Uh, that Jesus is greater than the things that come into our life. You may be familiar with Romans 8.37 that says we're more than conquerors um, through Christ who's in us. So the next four weeks, we're going to be looking at 
different things that are hard for us to overcome, but that we can overcome through a relationship with Christ in us. Today, we're talking a lot about self-condemnation. Self-condemnation. When you have sin in your life that maybe you haven't been able to kick it out of your life, and you just sort of kind of live with this constant state of guilt. What do you do with that? Is Jesus greater than that? So whenever you study the Bible, um, you always want to uh, ask yourself the context of the scripture that you're reading. So when you, you, you want to look at the context, the historical context, the cultural context, you want to look at the context of the verses around uh, the verses you're looking at. You want to look at the context of the chapters that are around the chapters that you're looking at. So when it comes to Romans, a couple of things to put the, the letter or the book of Romans in context and then get us up to chapter 8. The first chapter of Romans tells us that this letter is a letter to Christians that are in Rome. So part of the context is knowing the audience that you're talking to. So he's not addressing this letter to a mixed audience. He's addressing this letter to believers. Okay. So that affects the way you interpret scripture when you read it. You know, who's the author? Who are, who's the audience? And so um, I have a slide that I wanted you guys to show um, of, it's like a five-part movement of the book of Romans. I got this from our college and young adult class. So they've been studying through the book of Romans. I think they're almost done. I think you've got like one week left. So there's 16 chapters, and um, this is kind of how the book of Romans moves, okay? And some of these passages you will know. Um, you think of like Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is, is, is eternal life. Um, <clears throat> while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And you're moving your way, chapter 4, chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7. And then we talk about being, what it's like to be sanctified in Christ, where he makes you more like himself. And then eventually when you get to chapter 12, he starts to talk about what the Christian life looks like lived out really in practice with our brothers and sisters. That's the service portion. So that's the idea of what the book of Romans is doing, like how it's moving. And chapter eight is kind of in this um, salvation sanctification section where we're trying to uh, figure out what it looks like to struggle with wanting two things at the same time. And I'm sure we can all relate to this. There's a part of me as a Christian that wants the things of God. And then there's a part of me that still wants the things of my flesh. And so what do we do about that? And so sometimes you can feel defeated in your efforts to follow Christ and your efforts to obey Christ. And sometimes you might find yourself saying, uh, I failed again. I failed again. The good things that I wanted to do, I didn't do. And um, the bad things that I was trying to stay away from, that's the stuff I did. And man, I've tried and I've tried and I've tried. And some of you, you know, if you're overlaying your story onto this, you might say, I've I've been trying for years and I haven't been able to kick the habit, haven't been able to kick the bad habit, and I haven't been able to start the good habit. And I don't know if I should give up or what I should do. What should I do with that? Paul's response to that, if you are in Romans chapter 8, if you found Romans chapter 8, if you look at the last two verses of Romans chapter 7, the last two verses of Romans chapter 7, Paul says, um, what a wretched man I am. He feels the weight of it. And maybe you feel the weight of that as well. And so the question we're trying to address this morning is, what do you do when you feel defeated in your efforts to follow Jesus? What do you do when you're defeated in your efforts to follow Jesus? And there's a lot of emotion coming out of Paul whenever he says this, what a wretched man am I? I I don't like myself. I don't like what I see when I look in the mirror. 
And maybe some of you guys feel that way sometimes too. So what does God have to say about that? If you would, stand with me, and I will read for us Romans chapter 8. We're looking at the first 11 verses of Romans chapter 8 this morning. So, Romans 8, verse 1, Therefore there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. If there was ever a verse that I would say memorize, I would say memorize that one. And I think you all could memorize it within 15 seconds. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. That needs to hang there. You need to let that hang in the air. Because, because the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, since it was weakened by the flesh, God did. He condemned sin in the flesh by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering in order that the law's requirement would be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit have their minds set on the things of the spirit. Now the mindset of the flesh is death, but the mindset of the spirit is life and peace. The mindset of the flesh is hostile to God because it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it is unable to do so. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, us, you, me, we are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God lives in you, if anyone does not have the spirit, he does not belong to him. Now, if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through his spirit who lives in you. Let me pray for us real quick. Lord, I do believe that sometimes the best sermon that can be preached is just speaking your words out loud and just letting it do whatever you want it to do. We believe that your word is living and active, sharper than many two-edged sword, that it is valuable to either reprove us, challenge us, encourage us. And we also believe that if it's spoken, it won't return void. So thank you for your word. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And you guys can have a seat. So what do you do when you feel defeated in your efforts to follow Jesus? I feel condemned. The the word condemned, I've kind of sat with that throughout the course of this week, condemned. There's a part of me that sees like a house, a house that's condemned. Maybe it's got like a sash over the front of it, condemned. It really can't be renovated. Uh, It's really good for nothing much than just being bulldozed over. So maybe you feel condemned. Um, I'm guilty and I can't be fixed. I'm guilty and I can't be fixed. Some of us carry that around in our spirits more than others. And as I've dwelt with this passage over the course of this week, I think what Paul is trying to tell us that the main key to not living under a spirit of condemnation is understanding your identity, understanding your identity in Christ. So there's basically just two points that I'd like to make this morning. What do you do when you feel defeated in your efforts to follow Jesus? Know who you are, your identity. And then two, keep bringing your life into alignment uh, with that identity. 
So let me see if I can explain this um, to the best of my ability. Identity. There's a difference between what you do and who you are. There's a difference between what you do and who you are. Who you are is your identity. And what you do, I would make the case that it's separate. So you got to listen real close. I'm going to do my best to talk clearly. If you do your best to listen as close as possible, because try not to hear what I'm not saying and what I am saying. So let me ask you if you can hear the difference in these statements. I made a mistake. I am a mistake. I did something stupid. I am stupid. I did something embarrassing. I am an embarrassment. I failed. I am a failure. And I would even push it this far to say, I sinned. I am a sinner. So let's be careful with this. Let's be careful with this. Even making a distinction between that, I sinned and I am a sinner. I don't want to be confusing. The Bible does tell us that as believers in Christ, that we do still sin. Okay, you can look at 1 John chapter 2 if you want to. 1 John chapter 2. Uh, Paul even says later on that he is the chief of sinners. Okay? So it is appropriate as a Christian to call yourself a sinner. But as a Christian, sinner is not your primary identity. It's not who you primarily are. And what I've noticed over the course of my life is I think this happens really subtly and we don't mean to do it, but sometimes you don't realize that you're not really clued in to the fact that you're a saint primarily. And I would say it, I guess, as your, in terms of your identity, sinner secondarily. So a couple of, couple of thoughts with that. Whenever Paul addresses the church in most of his letters, he always says to the saints, in Philippi, to the saints in Cappadocia, to the saints here, to the saints there. He never addresses his letter to Christians and says, to the sinners who live in Tulsa, to the sinners who live in Nashville. The the name that he speaks over you as a Christian is that you're a saint, okay? Or he sometimes uses the word elect. Um, Paul's not using the word saint in the Catholic church sense. He's using the word saint in the sense of Your identity is that when God looks at you, he doesn't see you. He sees the righteousness of Christ. When he looks at you, you're covered with the blood of Jesus. Um, Just because it's stuck in my head over the course of this week and I was remembering, there's this guy from uh, Zimbabwe that I used to know way before Winston. Um, This guy's name was uh, Shano, S-H-A-N-O, Shano. So I I thought I could call him Shane because it sort of looked like Shane. I was like, it sounds simpler. Can I call you Shane? He's like, no, my name is Shano. So anyway, he was, I think, very in, in tune with the Lord. And one morning I saw him at church and I was like, Shano, how are you doing? And he just said, uh, I'm covered in the blood. I was like, wow, strong. It's a strong response. Like I, it, I was just going to say fine. You know, I just, I, I, you know, I'm fine. I'm covered in the blood. And he was like, and like, it really meant something to him. And I wonder with us if it, really, if it really means something to us or if it's just correct theology. And how do you get something to sink from your head to your heart? How does that work? <clears throat> 
So I think this is part of what Paul is talking about. In Romans chapter 8, there's a lot in Romans chapter 8. But part of what he says, he talks about walking by the Spirit, living by the Spirit, being in the Spirit. I think there's a handful of things that that can mean. But I think at least part of what it means is living in the awareness of your identity as being forgiven and trusting in God for that identity. So this is just straight up theology. And what I'm trying to do is move it into the practical. So you don't, so your mind just doesn't go, yeah, I've heard that so many times. And I know it's just true, but I just have a hard time really latching onto it. But the truth is, Paul is in the middle of a wrestling match with sin. And the reason there's no condemnation in his struggle, and I would say the same thing for you, if you're in Christ, the reason there's no condemnation in your struggle with sin is because you're in Christ. The law has been fulfilled. Jesus lived a perfect life. He died and he paid our penalty in our place. Because of that, the wrath of God and judgment passes over us. And when he looks at you, he sees the righteousness of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.21, if you have it, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Okay, so let's bring it home. How would you answer this question? What do you think God sees when he looks at you? What do you think God sees when he looks at you? Okay, there's an answer that you know is the right answer, and then there's the answer that you sometimes feel. And you can kind of have both of them in your head and be thinking about this while I'm talking. What do you think God sees when he looks at you? I think he thinks I'm okay. I think he tolerates me. Um, I think God loves me. I really do. I think he wants me around. There's a part of me that thinks that eventually his patience is going to run out. Like, I know he's patient, but if I keep messing up, eventually he's going to bail. I think think my thoughts are important to God. I think God wants to hear me pray. Um, I think he's one step away from walking away from me. Or, you know, when I'm around God, I feel accepted. I feel wanted. Maybe we're all somewhere different on that spectrum. I really do think that it's easier for some of us to live uh, forgiven than others. I think it has to do with two things. You could say nature and nurture. Um, Some of us, just because of our natural temperament and personality, when somebody says, God loves you, you just believe it. Of course he does. Bam. And you're... You're off down the road. Some of us, um, just because of our temperament or personality, just find that almost impossible to believe. Um, And some of us, because of our experiences, we find that impossible to believe because we've never been loved that way by any other human. And some of us, the reason you find it easy to believe is because of the way people have loved you in your life. Well, of course God could love me like that because I've been loved like that by other people in my life. So there are reasons why um, it can be hard for some of us to let this sink in. So part of what we're saying when we say that your identity is found in Christ is that it's okay to fail. I love that. It's okay to fail. And I might ask you this morning, do you believe that? 
do you believe it's okay to fail? Again, there's the right answer, and then there's maybe what your heart really thinks. Do you think it's okay to fail? One of the reasons that we live with ongoing guilt as a Christian is because we don't believe it's okay to fail in Jesus' sight. Now, again, I don't want to be confusing. Um, There is such a thing as good guilt, okay? There are some things that you should feel guilty for because you're doing the wrong thing. You need to start doing the right thing. Not all guilt is bad. But I'm talking about living in a constant sense of God doesn't accept me. And maybe you would say, maybe you would say that's me. Maybe you would say, man, I, I, I really wish that I could get that to sink deeper into my heart. The reason it's okay to fail is because my acceptance is not based on how well I perform. The reason that it's okay for you to fail is because your acceptance is not based on how you perform. It's based on Jesus's forgiveness of me. You are who he says you are. Okay, we just sang that song. 15 minutes ago. I am who you say I am. Did you, did you mean it? You know, are you, are you getting there? You're trying? Um, when it's okay to fail, that means it's okay to try. And when it's okay to try, those are the people who live in freedom. I mean, Paul says, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. What's he talking about? I think part of what he's talking about is the fact that it's okay to make a mistake. God's not going to run out of patience or run out of love. So let me give you an example of what living the Christian life looks like in relation to all of this. I think one of the best examples of this is John chapter 8. And you, you can turn there if you want to, or you can just listen. John chapter 8, verses 10 through 11. That's the story of the woman caught in adultery, Okay. So this woman is caught in adultery and there's all these men that kind of drag her before Jesus. And, and Jesus says, uh, those who are without sin, let them cast the first stone. So they all walk away. And then there's this scene where it's just, it's just Jesus and her. And that's important because that's where the conversation happens with you. And that's where the conversation happens with me. When you shut the door and it's just you and him, what does he say to you? And what does he say to this lady? He says, where are your accusers? He says, where are your accusers? And then he says two things. He says, I don't condemn you and go and sin no more. So you did something wrong, okay? But I don't accuse you. Now go and sin no more. Now I had to really sit with this for a minute to try to, line it out in a way that made sense. Jesus, with Jesus, and I think this is the way it is with good parents, there's a really weird mix of, I accept you as you are, and you need to change. Okay? That's the weird mix that you're hearing there in Jesus' words with this woman. I accept you as you are, because you're in Christ. I accept you as you are, and you need to to change. And I think there's a part of us somehow that thinks it either needs to be one or the other. I either need to be all good and you accept me, or I either need to be all bad and you reject me. I think that's part of what's going on in our hearts and in our minds as we're trying to think about it. It's either got to be this or be that, but it can't be a mixture of the two. But it is a mixture of the two. That's what Jesus said to her. That's what Jesus says to us. I accept you as you are because you're covered in the blood of Christ 
and you need to change. So this is the way I think it works in terms of how we follow Christ. Five things. You try your best. You mess up. You confess. You accept his forgiveness. And you try again. That's the Christian life. We try our best. We mess up. We confess, we accept his forgiveness, we try again. That's a lot of what's talked about in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. John says, little children, don't sin. But if you do, as in when you do, because you will, you have an advocate before the Father who prays for you day and night. So I'll make the second point. <clears throat> what do you do when you feel defeated in your efforts to follow Jesus? Again, I don't know that there's a silver bullet. I don't know that there's a formula. I do think it takes time. But I I do think primarily it has to do with understanding your identity. If this is something you struggle with, you need to engage in conversations with people about your identity and really ask yourself some tough questions. Who do I really believe who I am in Christ? And if I do, what does it look like? to live like it. So the second thing is you bring yourself into alignment with who you are. <clears throat> one, of the, um, one of the best ways to change is to look at somebody who is good at something and then ask yourself what they do that you don't do and then try to do those things. So there are some people when it comes to um, just believing that they're forgiven and they're able to move on from failures, um, and we, if we look at their life, what are, what are they doing that you're not doing um, if that's something you struggle with? And so how do we apply that? A couple of things. I, I want to give you just a couple of things to, to chew on. Again, I wouldn't even say it's conclusive. But bef- before, I, before I mention those things, I do think it's easier for some people than others. And I do think living into, living into a new identity takes time. <clears throat> living into a new identity takes time. The first time, I know we were thinking of this example earlier in the week. Um, there's, there's some friends of mine that have become dads for the first time, okay? And uh, I've had friends, like, their baby's born, and I'm like, you're a dad. And he's like, I know I'm a dad, but I don't feel like I'm a dad. And um, what I've noticed is once you've had enough sleepless nights and changed enough diapers and you've lived in the identity of being a dad, uh, then I come to you, the identity feels more real. You don't feel as much like an imposter because you're actually living the life of that person. You're doing the type of things that a dad does and you hadn't done them up until that point. So when the baby was born, it's like you know it, but you haven't really lived into that identity. The mom's known it for quite some time. She knew she was a mom for quite some time. But the dad sometimes um, <laughs> takes a little while for that identity to set in. And so in the same way, really believing that you're forgiven <clears throat> can be tough. Uh, to, how does an identity sink in? How do you get something to sink from your head to your heart? So I thought I would give you guys three things. Just three ideas to mull on. You might be able to come up with some that are even better of your own. Uh, Number one is be intentional about who you surround yourself with. Be intentional about who you surround yourself with. You want to be surrounding yourself with people that live that way. When they mess up, there doesn't seem to be this cloud that like hangs over them. Um, 
The Bible says, Proverbs, I'll give you guys a couple of verses. You can take notes as, as they seem helpful. Proverbs 4.23. Proverbs 4.23 says, Guard your heart above all else, for it is the source of life. Proverbs 4.23, guard your heart above all else, for it is the source of life. Some people would say, stand guard at the door of your mind. Stand guard at the door of your mind. Be careful not only who you, be intentional about who you hang around. Choose the people that you hang around. Choose the people that you listen to. Because the people around you reinforce what you believe. And the the people you're around, the people you associate with help you understand who you are. And they either speak words of life or words of death. And that's another passage. Proverbs 18.21 says, life and death are in the power of the tongue. Proverbs 18.21 says, life and death are in the power of the tongue. The tongue has the power to label people. And when you label someone, you're putting an identity statement on them. It's different. Like I said, it's different between saying, I lost and you're a loser. I made a mistake. I am a mistake. And the people you hang around with need to be speaking an identity over you that's biblical. So make sure you're surrounding yourself with people that speak life. Secondarily, I would say forgive others. Okay? So how do you do this? When you feel defeated in your efforts to follow Jesus, maybe you feel condemned. One thing I've noticed that's a little strange is that people who are withholding forgiveness from other people find it harder to accept God's forgiveness of them. And so maybe that's something you need to hear this morning. Maybe part of the reason you're having trouble believing that God could love you that much is because you're withholding forgiveness from someone else. That's, that's me stepping on your toes. Um, but maybe, that, maybe that's something you need to do. We need to forgive as we have been forgiven. Freely. We've been forgiven freely. So we forgive other people freely. How many times do I have to forgive my brother? There's no end. 70 times 7. But we learn, I think we come to understand God's forgiveness of us as we forgive others. Uh, if, if our worship team would like to come on up, I'm going to uh, talk about this third point here, and that, that should make it about right. But this third thing is keep speaking Scripture over yourself. Repetition. This is how Jesus engaged with the devil in Matthew chapter 4 when he was tempted. Jesus quoted Deuteronomy to the devil. The three uh, passages of Scripture that Jesus quoted were from Deuteronomy. I just like that phrase, quoting Deuteronomy to the devil. And so maybe there's a passage of Scripture that you need to keep speaking over yourself, and you need somebody else to speak it over you. Maybe it's, maybe it's Romans 8.1. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And maybe you need somebody to say it again and again and again. Maybe you need to hear somebody speak that over you ten times. 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Keep speaking it over yourself. Keep speaking it over yourself. Keep speaking it over yourself. Sometimes I think you need to hear it just one more time in order to believe it. Now, I'm not a parent, but one of the things that I've heard from parents that can be really frustrating is there's this truth that you're trying to teach your kids 
for like years. And then one day they come from, from school and they're like, hey, guess what so-and-so said? This is this really smart thing. And you're like, I've been telling you that your whole life. And how come the one time they say it, now you believe it? And you're coming home telling it to me like I've never heard of it before. Like, what's going on? But as a parent, you say, look, uh, it's frustrating, but I'm just glad it sunk in. And so maybe, and I've noticed this, sometimes I just need to hear it one more time. Sometimes I just need to hear the truth, maybe with a slightly different word used, vocabulary word. Sometimes maybe I just need to hear this person say it instead of that person say it, and it sinks in. But the repetition of Scripture over yourself, again, if we believe his words are living and active, when we speak them, they're, they're penetrating our hearts and our minds. So I'll close us with a word of prayer. And I want to pray for you, and I want to pray for me this morning. Lord, it's hard. It's sometimes it's hard to believe that you love us. It's hard to believe that you love us because we've been around ourselves for a long time. We know all the stuff we've done. It's hard to move on. It's hard to not carry that stuff around with us. But... Help us to agree with you. Help us to call ourselves the names that you call us. Whatever you call us is what we want to call ourselves. And help us not only to do that as individuals, but help us to help each other do it. We're the body of Christ. All these different body parts. Looking at you who's the head, Jesus. Speak to us through each other. And we pray that when the world looks at us, so that they would see something beautiful. People that are accepted. And you're the only one that makes that possible. So we praise you for that, Jesus. In your name, we always pray together. Amen.